Yeah, you have to own you. You have to own everything in your life, right? That's step one of anything. You have to own everything because if you if you're not owning thing, now you're a victim. Now you're ah uh, this PT. I didn't know what it was going to be. My parents never told me this was going to be my financial situation. The government's screwing me over. Healthcare screwing me over. Like you have to own your situation until you actually take ownership and responsibility for your situation. You're, you're never going to get to that point where you say, you know what, I got to be, I need to be open with this. I need to be transparent with this. I need to seek out solutions. Welcome to the Key and Mang audio experience where you're here from two up and coming therapists looking to enhance the lives of listeners by addressing health, wealth, lifestyle, and overall growth. Tune in to hear the latest lessons learned on the Key and Mang audio experience. This episode is brought to you by Varela Financial, the experts in student loan repayment solutions. Not sure what to do with your student loans? That's how we felt before scheduling the free call with Varela Financial, where they helped us create plans based on our lifestyle and goals. For more information, check them out at www.varelafinancial.com or click the link in the description to schedule your free call today. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Key and Mang Audio Experience. I'm your host, Mang. As always, with my fellow co-host, Key. Key, what's good? What's up, Mang? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm lovely. Can't complain. Fantastic. Fantastic. Today we got another special one. We got the owner of Varela Financial, Chris Varela, who helped, who works to help create student loan repayment strategies and wealth accumulation for attorneys, PTs, and other graduate professionals. So basically, if you want a, a plan to get your bread up, hit up Chris. Chris, what's good? What's going on, guys? Happy to be here. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. Um, we like to open it up with having our guests tell us a little bit about their origin story or how they got to the point where they're at. So can you fill us in with some of your background? Yeah, sure. Um, so very long story short. So I'm basically 31 years old. Most of what uh, most of what I did professionally early on in my career was more marketing and sales oriented um, and also like management as well, which I was, I was fortunate enough to get into that. Um, but I basically reached a point where I, I've always been very entrepreneurial minded. I imagine you guys are probably the same. That's why you guys have a podcast, right? Um, but I've always kind of had that itch to, to start my own business and I've had people in different sales uh, experiences say, hey, you know what, you would probably be really good in, in this profession. And I never had an interest in it really because I was never like, I was never, never focused on like finances. It was always interested, interesting to me, like financial planning and the stock market and risk and all that stuff. Uh, but anyway, I got into it. Uh, didn't have any uh, experience in the field, but basically started out in the industry, started out on my own business. And the norm in financial services is that you start out and you just basically call your closest family and friends to see who wants to work together. But it's always really weird doing that because you're calling people that know that this is not what you specialize in doing right now. Uh, and it's just like new. And it's kind of like you get a call from your friend. You're like, what is like, what, what are you trying to sell me? Like, get like, get to it. Like, there's always that weird feel to it. So and that was very uncomfortable to me. So I very much like failed in that aspect of the financial services business. Uh, but then found uh, very naturally through uh, my best friend, actually, who's an attorney, I got my first introduction to like student loan repayment and the different types of plans and strategies that are outside that are available for that. And basically saw a massive void that needed to be filled. And it didn't seem that any other financial professionals or advisors wanted to work in that space. Like it didn't seem like an attractive thing. And to me, it was very weird because I just saw a massive opportunity. And uh, and so I've kind of just jumped uh, and dove like headfirst into that. And fast forward to where we're at now, 
the entire business focuses on that, right? So we view financial planning as kind of like you're running hurdles around the track. And for a lot of graduate professionals, the first hurdle that you run into is student loan debt. Um, and you shouldn't go around it. You shouldn't go under it. You, you can't avoid it. Like you got you to gotta really tackle it head on. And, and we've developed a lot of different strategies to, to do that in a very cost efficient way. And, and uh, that is what we do, not just for PTs or attorneys, but for any graduate professional or anybody that's looking for uh, help or advice on what to do with student loans. I think it's funny that you said that um, you were like talking to your friends and family and it was kind of weird. I feel like it's hard to offer your services to people who know you, whether they know <laughs> it's your specialty or not. I feel like they don't so they don't like support you the same. I don't know. Um, it's weird. But how did you get to the point where you feel comfortable like offering these financial services to like professionals? Like how did you get the education base? Yeah, so the the education came through just experience, right? So uh, kind of saying before, it's like when I was early in the field, like I've, I very much like failed in the industry and then kind of naturally fell into the niche uh, of what I do now with student loans. But when I was failing, I was just taking that time to invest in experience, right? And I was just investing in expertise. Um, and there were plenty of cases where I did where it was kind of like a fake it till you make it type of thing where I was, I was basically saying that I was the expert, but then in some cases, very early on, I was actually saying, Hey, look, I, I scheduled the call. You're going to meet with me, but then there's going to be this other advisor and he's going to do most of the consultation. Um, and it was the, another advisor I was working at the time that, that was pretty well versed on, on student loan repayment strategies, stuff like that. Um, so watching him working with him and then also, uh, with my experience with previous employers, I've, I've gained a lot of experience in the importance of uh, sales processes and sales scripting and, and being a client or a customer first approach versus then product or, or account approach, right? Um, so kind of learned how to do the right thing from a business perspective and was able to take the experience that I was gaining from this other advisor and my experience from the other employer and put them together to actually literally like roll out my own process and my own scripting for this and my own strategy and, and et cetera, and et cetera. And it's a, it's a constant evolution. I feel like regardless of anybody that is where they are at in life, it's like life is always just a constant evolution of like different successes and different failures. Um, and uh, yeah, to answer your question, like in the very early on, I, I was very much kind of like faking it till I made it. Uh, but my gut was always telling me that this is a big space and this is, there's a lot of success to be had in this space if you do things the right way. Um, and we're, we're very, we've been very strict on that. We will continue to be strict on that. Um, and I think that's how we've been able to kind of build what we've built so far. And another thing that you were talking about, Key, is uh, it's called the stranger effect. Um, so it's like if you know somebody too well personally, it doesn't matter how big good they are at something, you still know them as like the person that's not being professional because you get beers with this person, you get you get dinners with this person, you can joke around and you can kind of mess around with this person, right? Uh, and then when they try to get serious, you're like trying not to laugh at them because like this is your friend. Uh, but it's called a stranger effect where you might be working with somebody that is not as good at something, but because you view them as being an expert, you view them as being better than your friend who in reality might actually be better than that person at that service. Um, but it's a very real thing. And that is definitely something that that we that a lot of professionals struggle with, specifically in financial services, uh, getting over that hurdle. Um, and even to be more specific, one out of 10 uh, new people that enter our industry will actually have success and actually have a have a career in this field. So it's extremely competitive for a lot of that reason. 
so if there's a 10% chance of being successful in the field, how did you continue to stick with it throughout all these years of, <laughs> you know, I mean, like there's a lot of people coming yeah. in every day and you're like, am I built for this? Can I yeah. handle this? Can I build this? Like, how did you keep your, your spirits up and keep the vision for it? Uh, ego, probably. Um, just being honest. Right. So just like, like, I think, um, I'm going to do a horrible job of, of, uh, of wording this, but, um, Steve jobs, um, there's a video out there. Steve jobs kind of talks about this and he's like a lot of successful entrepreneurs, like they just don't know when to give up. And then the, the average or the normal brain would say, you know what, this isn't working. I'm going to quit and I'm going to do something else. And that makes logical sense to do that. Cause if it's not working, stop doing it. But the people that are able to build something that hasn't been done before, the people that will fail, 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 and then stay in the same category of what they're doing, but try it in a different way. And it's like, you're, you're, you just, again, it's just, you, you fail, you stop doing it. You succeeded it, you keep doing it, so on and so forth. You just keep going through that process. Um, but I think that's how I, I stayed in it is I just, my gut was telling me, and don't get me wrong, there were periods of time where I was sitting down with my wife and, and I was like, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is going to work. Um, but then my gut would say like, no, dude, like, like, don't quit. You're going to regret quitting. If you did, like, you've always wanted to have your own business. This is what you're doing. You're doing it right. Keep working at it. Keep, keep pushing, keep hustling. Like you'll figure it out. And eventually things start to fall into place. And fortunately for me, it wasn't that long. Like in hindsight, like when you're going through it, it feels like an astronomical amount of time. It feels like it's the longest period of time ever when you're failing, failing, failing. But in reality, in my case, it was probably about, a, uh, I don't know, 12, 18, maybe just over 18 months of like really getting my ass kicked um, until things started to kind of fall in place and started to click. But there were plenty of things that I was doing, like messaging on LinkedIn, where uh, it's just something that is just like a blind hustle. And what I mean by that is like you're you're hustling your ass off and you're not seeing any results, but you're like, if I can just keep doing this, eventually I'll get one person and then they'll have a good experience because of this process that I'm building. And hopefully they have a good experience. And then maybe they'll refer me to somebody else. Now I have two people that I work with. And now I can go to them and say, hey, do you know anyone else that, that needs help with this? So on and so forth. And then it kind of snowballs from there. But it's just, you're just blindly hustling and doing something where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to see results, but I think, and my gut is telling me that I will. So I'm going to keep pushing at this. And you might do something for three months and you're, you're again, you're going, 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 going. You see no results. And in month four, five, six, you, you start seeing some things happening. And sometimes it, it's, you do something for two, three years, and you don't see anything. And then it starts to, starts to click. But yeah, I mean, it's, you have to be a little stubborn um, and you have to really be passionate and bought in about what you're doing. Otherwise, when things are tough, you're going to quit. And that's, it doesn't have to be running business. It could, you could be a PT, right? You spend all this time, energy and, and money going into the PT field. And then maybe a year in and you're, you're having a hard time finding a job that you like. And you're not really clicking with the other PTs that you're working with. And you have this itch to maybe do, do something else. You just don't know what it is, but you want to do something else. You want to have something that you own. And then when things are rough as a PT, you're going to fold immediately, right? So you have to really be bought into what you're doing and kind of really have a firm why of what you're doing so that you can always check yourself back in. Otherwise, you'll, you'll quit anytime it gets tough. Yeah, that's what, it, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like as long as your why is strong, and it can steer you out. A lot of people like to say they're their North Star, like finding their North Star. As long as that's strong, then you'll be able to like weather the storm to mm -hmm. get to where you're trying to get to. And it sounds like your your vision was strong. You knew there was a problem. You knew what you what you, what you were heading into was going to work. You just needed to kind of get your reps in and 
learn and take from the good and the bad to be able to build up to where you're at right now. So mm -hmm. before we dive more into it, I just want your thoughts on what were your thoughts on money and building money and wealth when you were younger? Have they changed as you've gotten more experience in the game? Yeah, extremely. My, uh, I grew up in a household where finances, and I know I'm not alone with this, but some people don't do this, some people do. But I grew up in a household where everything financially was, or everything financial was hush-hush. Never knew how much money my parents made. Never knew anything about mortgages. Uh, there was never any conversation of, hey, we have the things that we have because mommy and daddy work very hard to get to get to what we have. And and we're not able to do, we're not able to be with you all the time because we have to work to make money to live in this house and, and get to these things. And I grew up in a big, I grew up in a big family, a very modest family. Right. So I'm, I came from one of five. My dad was an engineer. My mom's a teacher now, but growing up, my mom was home with five psycho kids. Um, and my dad was making good money, but not like crazy good money. Like, like, it, like, it, but I, I know that we always got the things that we wanted. And I talked to my dad now as we're adults and I'm like, that must have been hard to do. And he was like, well, yeah, we had to figure certain things out financially. And in my mind, I'm like, why don't you educate your kids on that? And some families, they really, maybe it's a generational thing. I don't know. Me and my wife don't do it. We teach our kids about like, my, I mean, my oldest daughter is three, so she doesn't really get it yet. But like, I, if I ask my daughter right now, if I go downstairs and talk to my daughter, I'm like, what happens if you invest money? She'll say, she'll say, or I'll say, what, what happens to your money when you invest money? And she says, it turns into more money. Now, in reality, you can also lose money too. We haven't gotten there yet. But in my mind, I'm like, conceptually, it's like you just that certain education, you just want certain things to be there. Um, so growing up, um, what I would say, man, to answer your question, there was no I didn't view anything financially, but I've always had I've always been. So everyone in my family did very well in uh, academics. Right. Like my like one of my uh, my oldest sister. So I'm the fourth of, of five and I'm the middle son. So my oldest brother is like the cliche first child, like responsible. We grew up very uh, uh, Christian and like he went to Christian college and like he did like everything like that. My parents, I was like, that's like, he was like the star child. Right. Um, and then my oldest sister was like, I don't know if she was actually like top of her class, but she was like top two or three in her class. And we go to a big high school. Um, like we graduate over a thousand kids a year. And I think it's even bigger now. Um, but she always did really well. And then my other sister was always very, very smart, very likable. And then there was me. I sucked and still suck at school and textbooks and memorizing things. I was always a good doer, but I was always more athletically driven. My mom said, literally as a kid, I remember my mom saying like, Chris just goes to school because that's what he has to do before he goes to football practice. Um, and that was just like how I was growing up. Like I was just like that little kid that's just running around and like putting garbage cans in the front lawn and like running around and like he's being a running back. And, uh, so like, and then, and then that transpires all the way through college. And then when I was a college athlete, I played lacrosse in college, but then I got out and it's like my identity, my athlete, like me being the athlete, like that identity felt like it was gone. And that was a struggle for me. And I, I feel like what I've found with that, I'm very competitive. I, I find passion in things that I do. I don't, I'm not like passionate about all these different things, but I, I'm the type of person where I find passion in things that I do and it, and I get bought in. Now, the question is sometimes if I do it for a couple of years, do I get, do I, does that passion go away? Hopefully not. Right. But that does happen sometimes. Um, but basically I think I was always passionate. I always had a chip on my shoulder of like, Oh, I was kind of told like I was never going to be an engineer or I should have been an engineer, but I didn't do that. My sister was going to go to medical school, but she didn't end up gone. But in my mind, I'm like, she could have been a doctor. And it's like, well, what was I going to do to make money? But I grew up in a household where it was like, Oh, well, you gotta be a doctor, an attorney or an engineer if you want to make a lot of money. And I was like, I don't know, I took a different route and I was always in sales and I was always very competitive. 
and I uh, thrive off of incentive. So now as an adult, and he's even as a young adult, I always just was interested in not how money works, but I was interested in making it and having it and seeing what that affords me to be able to do. And again, I will tell you firsthand, money does not buy happiness. It will bring you more problems in a lot of cases, but in my opinion, it also does afford you the opportunity to figure out what makes you happy or it affords you the opportunity to do things that make you happy. Um, it makes me very happy to provide a certain lifestyle for my wife and my children, right? So like it's selfish and it's like a little bit ego driven, but that makes me happy is knowing I can provide these things. I feel like I'm being a good provider. I feel like I'm being a good husband. I feel like I'm being a good father, right? Um, so those things are all interconnected, but very long winded answer, man. But I would say early on, there was no education. And then as I got older, I was just interested in having money. And then when I started having a little bit of money, I got very interested in how that money worked and then transitioned into the field, started my own business. And, and here we are, we'll see how it goes. So then when you tell your, your family about starting Varela Financial, what are their initial thoughts about it? And I'm just, now I'm just curious. Um, it's a good question. I don't know how I would answer it. So when I, when I launched Varela Financial, there was more interest there, but before I launched, like I didn't, I didn't leave my, so I used to work in like a, like a marketing and sales organization, but it was like a home improvement company. I didn't leave that company in September and then start Varela Financial in October. So I basically worked for like a, a finance, a big financial services corporation um, and was basically just going to represent them. And I knew I knew long-term, I was like, I was, even getting into it, I was like, I'll represent this huge broker-dealer. I'll do all these different things um, or the, the firm, which is the broker-dealer. So I was like, I'll represent this firm and I'll just get some experience and then eventually I'll go independent. I'll do my own thing. Um, and early on when I started, I didn't really call like my family because I didn't really, I was worried about how they would perceive it. And I was, I was worried about their judgment because I knew that the judgment would be there in some cases, rightfully so. But like that, I was nervous that their uh, negative judgment was going to affect me too much because it would have, right? Um, I care about what these people think a, a lot. Like these are people that I love, they love me and like their opinion does matter. Um, now I've reached the point now where I, I'd still consider opinions, but now I'm kind of more so focused on like, this is where I see and I'm going to follow that. Um, and outside opinions, whether they hurt my feelings or not, like I'm still going to follow my gut. But before I was at, I had that confidence. I didn't even call family, but I did call friends. Um, and the conversation was more so like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Would love to sit down and talk to you about it. But if you're not interested, like you don't have to, right? So it was super soft, um, which I did probably partially out of insecurity and, and didn't, but I was also made it clear when I would call my friends, I was like, look, before I even go into this, like this is a business, more of a business call before I go into anything, like our friendship is more important than our potential business relationship. So that's first step. Um, and second step is, hey, this is what I'm going in. This is what I'm doing. I do this, 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 and this. Do you have any interest in sitting down and talking about it? If you don't, it's totally okay. No hard feelings. I just wanted to give you a call and and see what your thoughts were. Uh, but I would say still to this day, my parents are clients uh, and they probably needed what we do the most. Um, but outside of that, like I've never, well, I've talked to my sister about stuff, but again, like I haven't reached out to any aunts, uncles, cousins, like, and in, in my opinion, I, I don't really have an interest in working with family at this point because I do know that if something was to go wrong, then those relationships can be affected. Um, and um, yeah, maybe that'll change, but I've reached, it's the type of industry where when you're, when you're new, no one wants to talk to you um, because they don't perceive you as knowing, knowing what you're doing. But then when you're a couple of years and you've proven yourself, those same people that kind of told you to fuck off for a little bit, maybe not actually, but like figuratively, um, 
sometimes those people text you and they give you a call when you're a couple of years in and they perceive you to be good at what you're doing now. So now they're interested. Um, and you do kind of have to check yourself a little bit to, to view it as like, oh, now this person wants to call and not and not look at it that way and be like, no, it's like it took me work to get to the point where these people that I know and have relationships with actually trust me enough to say, you know what, I'm actually going to reach out to them to see if they can help me with this. Because for some people, that's a little nerve wracking to do. People don't. Some people, again, especially if you grew up in a household where you're you're taught to like hold in financial knowledge and like not talk about it and like learn what you want to learn. But then like don't tell anybody. <laughs> it like, doesn't make any sense. Um, but when you grow up that way, it takes a lot for you to say, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing financially. Maybe I should reach out to to somebody that is an expert in that field, even if it is a family or friend and and see what they can do to help. Did you have to see some sort of success with your business in order to gain the confidence to like stop caring about people's opinions? I still care about people's opinion because I'm a, I'm, I'm a human, right? Um, but like your family. And, yeah. Um, yeah, 100%. I mean, they wouldn't, like it's now, like I haven't had any family members that have reached out and said, hey, I'm looking to do some some financial planning. Like, what can we do? Like, like but, I, but my brother, like on vacations will say like, how's business? Um, what do you do? Whereas in the beginning, you're almost get offended, especially when you're somebody like me who's passionate and finds passionate things and then that consumes you. All you want to talk to people about is your business because that's what you're passionate about. That's what's on your mind all the time. So when you go and you sit with in-laws or you go and you sit with your family member and you sit with your friends and they don't ask you about your business that they know that you just launched, you take that personally to an extent because you're like, you get insecure. You're like, why, why aren't they curious? Like, they, like, maybe, like, how do they perceive what I'm doing, right? And then you start thinking about these things, right? It's an insecurity, right? So yeah, 100% uh, key, you have to, and so the hard part is doing it before you reach this, but when you start seeing success, that confidence comes right? comes It just comes with it naturally. The hard part is when you don't have that success and still having that same level of confidence. That's the hard part. And it's and sometimes that can be months, sometimes that can be years, right? And sometimes it's something that people never get over. Um, but again, kind of like me, like I'm just stubborn, I'm competitive. I had a gut feeling and I followed it and I was always very confident with it. And I think that um, I also, sometimes if I'm not as confident, I speak with a lot of conviction, right? And I'm also very blunt. So sometimes I'll explain stuff in a way where I, I strategically say it, but I'm like, this is, this is the way to do it because I'm confident that it is right. So I'm confident. And then I, that I, now I'm speaking with more conviction. So people are going to listen to what I say, but you have to have a little bit of a presence to be able to do that. It's a skill, right? And some people do it more naturally than others, but it is a skill that, that anybody can acquire is speaking with conviction. Like, you know, what the fuck you're talking about. And when you speak that way, people listen. So again, when you talk to family or friends and they don't, they don't perceive you to be an expert or something, but you're speaking with so much conviction maybe now they're a little more they're they're listening more rather than kind of tuning it out how do you develop that skill time um experience um so i personally one of my first so when i graduated college took a job with a startup company because i again I, i saw an opportunity and i was like maybe this could grow and it didn't turn into anything and there was also like no training. So I spent like six months there and left and the company is no more. Um, then I worked for this other company called uh, Power Home Remodeling and I started in their marketing department and eventually worked up to other things. But when I was starting out, literally it was a door-to-door marketing job. I was going door-to-door in the summer, in the winter, in the spring, in the fall and uh, selling people into allowing us to have a sales rep come out and give them a free estimate on roofing, siding or windows, Right very hard job, but you have, you have like, that's the type of job where it's like, it's, it's fight or flight. Like you got to figure it out. 
and do it in a way where you're not being a bad, pushy salesperson. That is a skill. But like, luckily I had really good training uh, the years that I was there. And then from there, the other thing I was doing, I would stand in grocery stores and I would stand at the exit and people would be, so it was like Sam's club or like BJ's wholesale. I don't know if they have that where you guys are at, but just like these wholesale clubs, like Sam's club. Right. And you would stand there and it's just a conveyor belt of people that are just walking past and you're like, Hey, how you doing? Like, Hey, I got a quick question for you. If you had to make any changes on home, would it be roofing, siding and windows? And you got to get it to be a conversation. And you, you have to, you learn a lot, a lot about yourself in this, in this process. Um, but fortunately in my, in my case, this company I worked for had, in my opinion, the best sales and marketing training that you can get um, with also the best leadership. And I was fortunate enough to, to work very closely with uh, some, some top-notch leadership in that organization. And still to this day have, has, have taken the, the mentorship that I got there and the guidance and the skills that I learned at that company and, and put that into my current business. And I don't, I don't think I would have had the success and we're not nearly where we want to be, but I, I don't think I've ha- I would have had the success that we've had so far if it wasn't for, for that training. So to answer your, your, your question, Ming, it's just experience and uh, you have to invest in yourself and you have to invest in experience and sometimes the money is not going to follow with that, but you're just, you're like, I'm just, I'm, I'm investing in the acquisition of skills. Um, and sometimes that, that takes a long time, which again, it's like anything that is, that is worth doing is going to take time. So it's generally worth it. I've been seeing, sorry, go ahead, man. I've been seeing a lot on social media. People have been saying like, in order to be successful as a business owner, you have to have like borderline, like delusional confidence, especially like started starting out. It's, it's kind of like what we were talking about before. It's like, just like having, yeah, it's like, you got to be a little delusional. So it's like when the, well, here's a, a saying that I, I'll take credit for it. Cause I don't, I don't, maybe I heard it somewhere, but I think I made it up. I don't know, but I, I've told people before, I'm like, normal people want nothing more than for you to be normal with them. Right. And it's not, it's normal for when shit is hitting the fan. It's normal for you to be like, you know what, this, I don't think this makes sense anymore. I, I think I can. I think it's going to be worth my time to do something else that's a little safer, a little more guaranteed. It has a salary, right? And it's a, it has benefits. Like it has these things. Like that's normal. It's not normal for you to try something and fail and then keep trying it and then failing again and keep trying it and then failing again, especially when your friends and family are normal people. And again, normal people want nothing more than for you to be normal with them. So they're not always going to be fully supportive of you banging your head against the wall waiting for it to work. And it's not out of, they're not malicious. They just love you. They care about you. They don't want you to be wasting your time, but they also don't see the vision that you see. So that's where the delusion comes in. It's not really delusion. It's just, maybe it's intuition. I don't know. You ha- you just, your gut feeling has to be so strong and you have to be so confident in your ability to figure it out, to, to, to be able to do that. But not everybody has that. Some people lack confidence. Some people don't, they, they reach a point and they're like, well, maybe this isn't for me. I'm a perfect example. Horrible in school. Didn't go to school for financial for uh, to be a financial advisor. Why am I where I'm at? Why am I in this industry? Right? Partially because I understand it doesn't really matter what business you're in. It's like you're, you're you run a sales and marketing organization, regardless of what it is the product or service that you offer. Now you have to be top notch at offering that service if you're going to scale, right? And you have to have systems. You have to have processes in place. But like, I don't like eat, breathe, and sleep student loans. I eat, breathe, breathe, and sleep growing my business. It's the surface that I, if the service that we offer, student loan repayment solutions and wealth accumulation and, and, and other areas as well. Like, is that what our service is? Yes. But like my focus and my passion is how do I get more people 
to say, you know what, I will talk to these people about this. Cause it's not, a, it's like, especially with finances, people are, it's, it's, it's harder than you would think to get people to talk to you about finances. Even if you are an expert at what you're doing, some people just don't want to talk about it. And again, I don't know if it's ego. I don't know if it's insecurity. I don't know if it's, oh, this person doesn't need to know about my finances. It's probably a combination of a million different things. Um, but it's harder than you would expect to get people to talk about their finances, especially their student loans, because people are embarrassed of their student loans. They don't want to talk about it. Think about the PT industry. I don't think that PTs are constantly talking about what they're doing with student loans. I just think that they're constantly within the field complaining about student loans, but not talking about it. They're just complaining about it. What we offer is the solution to those complaints. You don't need to complain about it anymore. Here are the plans. This is the strategies that you have. This is how it works within your individual case. This is how you manage it. We will do that with you and for you for the next X number of years. And we're badass at what we do. So why would you not work with us? But, it, but to, to get the people in the door, that's the hard part is getting people to be open to talking about it. Yeah, and I know for, for me, I was like, bro, I don't, I don't have a plan for <laughs> going forward my loans. I know I got this debt I got to pay back, but I know I need a way to to manage that. And I think it comes with, you have to start with being transparent with your situation yeah. and, and, and where you're at. And then it's easier to, once you understand that someone has been doing this for a while and knows how to help you get to whatever your goals are, then you're like, okay, then if I, as long as I'm transparent with where my situation is and they can help get me to where I'm trying to get to. Yeah. You have to own, you, you have to own everything in your life, right? That's step one of anything. You have to own everything because if you, if you're not owning thing, now you're a victim. Now you're, ah, uh, this PT, I didn't know what it was going to be. My parents never told me this was going to be my financial situation. The government's screwing me over. Healthcare is screwing me over. Like you have to own your situation until you actually take ownership and responsibility for your situation. You're, you're never going to get to that point where you say, you know what, I got to be, I need to be open with this. I need to be transparent with this. I need to seek out solutions. And unfortunately, and I, and I know this is going to be the case, the majority of people don't do that. They're not going to underplay it. They're not going to uh, take ownership. They're going to be the victim constantly. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to be on an income different repayment plan for 20 years. Their loan is going to be forgiven. They're not going to have safe for their tax bill. And they're going to say, well, I didn't know that I was going to have this tax bill. Bullshit. Yes, you did. You were in this plan for 20 years. I'm sure there was at least one email that mentioned something about a tax bill and you should have looked further into it. And But there's going to be a lot of people out there or there's people that know there's going to be a tax bill, but they don't save for it. And they're going to say the same thing. Now, Again, again, you have to ask yourself, like, well, am I going to own everything in my life or am I going to be somebody that life happens to? Like, oh, this is happening to me. This is happening to me. This is happening to me. Or am I going to say, you know what? Anything that happens to me is is probably uh, self-inflicted or, or self-provoked or self-succeeding, right? Something that is coming from something that I took and took charge of. And I think in general, this is just my personal opinion. I think that anybody out there will live a more fulfilling life if, life if they own everything that happens to them. And they understand that like you're, you're, you're in control of way more than you think. Um, good, bad, everything in between you're in control. Um, and I think the more and more people that understand that and they, they live their life, understanding that is it, you're, it's going to change how you view things uh, for the better. Um, and you'll become more of a problem solver and you'll become more appreciative of things that happen rather than thinking that you're lucky or unlucky. I agree. I also think with the whole um student loan situation they don't own it but also I feel like people try to be experts at everything and like don't want to yeah. delegate a task um 
Like me personally, I don't want to manage certain things. Like I'd rather have the expert manage it because I understand like this is my lane. I'm good at this. I'm not yeah. good at that. Um, I feel like people don't grasp that concept. I think it's ego, right? I have a college teammate of mine who like oddly enough has actually like burned a bridge with me over, over part of the conversation that we were having. But um, we were talking like this person sells real estate and he does really well. And we reached out and like, I don't do financial planning services, but I knew another advisor that did. And I was, and I thought of this, this teammate of mine, because again, college teammate, there's like a brotherhood there. So you're, you're, you're thinking about stuff like that. And you're like, me, like he should at least be open to the conversation if I'm reaching out and saying it to him. Um, and basically I sit down with this person and this should have been the first red flag, at least on our end from like a, from like a client advisor relationship type thing, but we're going through and like, he's got uh, a lot of money saved in the bank. He's making good money but he's not doing any investing. He doesn't have anything set up for retirement. He doesn't have any IRAs. He doesn't, he's not doing anything to high taxable income. And I just asked him at one point, I'm like, all right, so you're, you're this years old. You're making this amount of money. You have this much saved in the bank. You just literally just bought like a really nice house. Like, where's all this money come from? Like, is this, was this gifted from a wedding? Is this like saved? Was this like inherited? Like, where's all this money come from? And he was like, well, no, it's just saving. Like I've always been, I've always been like super like financially savvy, so on and so forth. In my mind, I'm like, you're a good saver. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with this. This is a very important part of just being like good with finances. I was in my mind, I was like, you're not financially savvy at all. I would actually, I would actually argue that you're, that you're the opposite. What you are is a good saver. And that is a huge step. That is a huge, that is a big skill to acquire that some people never acquire or never acquire. And then they're 60 years old and they're trying to retire and they're like, well, I don't have any money saved. It's like, well, you never develop savings habits. And when you have that ego, you're, you're going to be way, you're going to have your defenses up when people are trying to help you with finances rather than being open to it. Right. And that's a, that's a, that's a huge, huge piece key of exactly what you're saying is like, I think sometimes it's ego is people saying, well, I read this book and I listened to this podcast and, and I know, and I have a Roth IRA and I have my money in these mutual funds. And I, I know what I'm doing financially and I don't need a financial advisor. I don't even understand why that exists. It's like, well, I was an athlete and I had pretty much every injury you can name and I've rehabbed from it. But if I tear my ACL right now, I'm like, am I going to rehab that myself just because I was an athlete and I read books and went through experience and learned how to rehab these things? Like, no, I'm probably going to go to a physical therapist to help me rehab because that is what they special that is what they specialize in doing. I'm going to be better off going to a specialist than doing it myself, right? But it's it's an it's an ego thing, right? And ego sometimes can be good. Ego sometimes can get in your way. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think what you just mentioned is 100% true. And we see that all the time where we say, we do our phone calls with people and we say, this is how we think we can help. And they're like, oh yeah, well, I already do all that. And my mind, I'm like, there's no, there's no way you did. And if you did, that's awesome. Come work for us, uh, or come work with us. Like we're trying to scale. We need more people that know this. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then you have other people that are saying, well, I understand what you're saying and it does sound good, but I'm more comfortable just doing what I'm doing now, which is totally okay. You have to do what you're more comfortable with. But the question is, why are you not open to help if you schedule the phone call Make more information on how we can help. So it can be a little bit of a barrier for some people to get over, but it's a really good point. And I think it's not just about finances. I think it's anything in life. Sometimes people don't know how to get out of their own way. Yeah, I think I see that a lot too in like my field. And it's like people mm -hmm. hop on the phone with you and they're like, oh, I'm doing this, this and that. I'm like, all right, so why you hop on the phone? Like, why are you here? If you need help. Yeah. Like, and and sometimes, and it's, it's a good step. It's a good uh, segue because Mang was kind of asking like, how do you develop like these skills that you have, like how do you like the like the sales and market, how you develop those skills? An example I would just give you is like when you have those people, 
It's not about what you're saying. It's not about what you're pitching. It's the questions that you're asking. The best salespeople out there ask the best questions because they sometimes will not tell you what to do, but they will ask you two or three questions that will make you in your mind realize that you don't know the things that you know, but you have to do it in a way where you're not making them feel stupid. I think the guy, my, my teammate that I said that burned the bridge, I was explaining things in a way where he was taking it as an attack on his ego or an attack on what he was doing rather than me saying, maybe these are things that you should like. He was like, he texted me and he was like, you made me feel dumb. Maybe you shouldn't be making people feel stupid if you want them to work with them, which is a very good point. He's 100% spot on. You don't want people to work. You don't want people to work with you because they feel stupid, right? You want them to work with you because they perceive you to be an expert at what you're doing. But sometimes that's asking the questions and you can't acquire those skills if you don't fail and then succeed and then fail and then succeed. And what I learned from this, from, uh, from my, my, my teammate was that I, I probably said something in a way my gut tells me that it was probably a little bit more his ego than than anything else, but I will take ownership of the fact that I did probably ask him something that triggered his ego and to to feeling like an attack rather than being more informative and 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 something like that, right? So if, so in your example, it's like people are like, well, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. It's like, all right, well, that's great. I think that you're you're doing you're doing a lot of really good things. My only question is like, what did you want to get out of this phone call? You scheduled this phone call. Like, what what can I help you with? What are you looking for help on? And for whatever reason, sometimes people are guarded with that. Um, but most people will open up and say, well, I scheduled the call because I am doing this, 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 but this is an area that I'm struggling in. And is this something that you can help me with? And if you can, then then you're, they're going to be more likely to work with you rather than saying, oh, you're doing these three things. Let's tweak those things. And they're like, well, I don't feel like I need to tweak that. I feel like I have that figured out. I'm really more looking for something else. But yeah, sometimes it's just taking a step back and saying, okay, this is the information that they're giving me what other questions do I have to make sure that I can help them? Cause if I can't, then it doesn't make sense to move forward. But if I think that I can, let's figure out in what areas I can help them and, and let's explore and, and dive further into that. You mentioned asking the right questions. And this is something that we've heard a couple of times. And some of the people that we've talked to, how do you know when you're asking the right questions? <sighs> it's tough. It's tough to know, um, but like, kind of like, I just took a second to really think it's like, if you can like, but it's, you, I don't know if this is the right word. Cause I feel like I'm going to explain it wrong, but like, I know if I'm doing a zoom call with somebody and I'm talking to them, they're already an expert in their mind and, and we're going through this stuff. If I ask them a question where they pause or they're like stumped in my mind, I'm not thinking, Oh, I just stumped them. That's great. In my mind, I'm like, that's good. I'm getting like the wheels are turning. This is good. This is where the the relationship of expert and client are are coming together because now I'm, I'm i'm making them think rather than just reassuring all these other things that they're doing right so if they if you ask them a question they don't know the answer to it that's usually good but like what you don't want to do is be salesy and just purposely purposely asking all these ridiculous questions that you know they're not going to know the answers to the question is like like i was talking to my buddy that was a realtor and i was like well do you have a step ira like, do you have like your 1099 through your, through your um, brokerage? Like, do you have a SEP IRA? Like you're making like three, $400,000 a year. You can put up to 25% or I think it's like 50, like between 50 and $60,000 of, you could hide taxable income and put it into that type of an account and then use it later on for like things of retirement. And then that, that's like, that's just one piece, but it's like, 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 do you have that type of an account? Have you thought about that? So rather than saying like, oh, did you do this already? It's like, well, have you given this any thought? 
Have you given this any thought? And if you can kind of stump them or just get the wheels turning, it kind of goes from there, but it's also just expertise, right? So I think same thing for like PT, like you can be an outpatient and I'm, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like you could be an outpatient PT and just see like just different things all the time, all the time. Like, like you'd never see the same client that's going through the same rehab. Like they're similar, but they're always different versus being somebody that specializes in knee repair or like, like rehabbing from like re like knee reconstruction. If you specialize in that, that is what you see all the time. So that person is going to know what answers to ask more so than the general outpatient PT that might only see that type of case once or twice or five times a year. Right. So I think that's another example of where specialization kicks in, because if you're specialized, you're going to know the questions to ask, or you're going to acquire the knowledge of what questions to ask at a much quicker pace or a much quicker clip than those who are just kind of doing everything for everybody. And financial services is a great example of that. Like we are a niche specialty, right? We are not general financial planners, general financial advisors. Like we are are specialized in what we do versus the majority of the industry. Like there's a 90% fail rate or a 10% success rate in our field because everyone's taught to come in and be everything for everybody. It's too much. It's too much. Do some people figure it out? Yeah, of course. Like there's, there's the outliers and, and there's the people that hustle and figure it out. But even mine in that category, I failed, right? Because it, it was just too much. There's just, especially in this industry, there's just way too many things. Like there's, I can't even, I'm not even starting. Listen, it, just, it gets very overwhelming very quickly. Whereas if you can find a niche service and you specialize in that and you stay in that lane, you can just take off. I think specialization allows you just to get your reps in quicker. One hundred percent, like certain 100%. population or certain demographic of people. Um, I have a question about your like routine on a daily basis. So like, I feel like it's hard to stick to a routine as a business owner because like with a yeah. nine to five, you have like a schedule like you can't miss work. And then when you're not on that nine to five schedule, you kind of you kind of have to have more self discipline to yeah like, do everything. So how do you manage that? So what I'll tell you, you first. Yeah, I'll tell you first and foremost, I'm probably a good person. Like we should almost do a, another call five years from now to see where we're at. But like right now, like I don't have the most disciplined routine, right? I'll be totally honest. Like my wife works or my wife wakes up at like 6.30 like, or like five, like 5.30, 6, 6.30 in the morning with my with daughter number one. I stay in bed. <laughs> I wake up at like 7, 7.30 with daughter number two. We go down, we have breakfast together. Um, and then... I sometimes I'll go work out. I just literally like a week ago started working out again. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good at getting into like a consistent rhythm with that. I'll work out for like, like, I think I'm at the point right now. I'll probably work out for like a good two months and hopefully I'll stick with it. And my, and I want to, but sometimes certain things just get in the way and there are excuses, but it gets in the way of my being, uh, uh, consistent with the routine. But basically like I'll feed my daughter and I'll either work out a little bit or we'll just kind of like hang out and then I'll shower, I'll get ready. And then by nine o'clock, like my meetings are starting. Um, and then I'll basically, I'm working. And then uh, again, some days my daughter's in preschool. So again, when you have kids, when you have a family, the routine's a lot trickier because there's so many other variables at play. There's so many other responsibilities at play. Um, it's a lot easier in my opinion to have like a more, uh, strategic or uh, not strategic, but a more regimented routine if it's like just you. So like, you're like, all right, well, I need to be at work by nine. I, need, I leave at eight 30. So if I wake up at six 30, I have two hours where I can do certain things. I can work out, I can shower, 
Uh, I can groom myself. I can do whatever I need to do to get ready for that day. And I can pretty much do that every single day. But then when you are living like that and then you have a kid or you're married, you have a kid or you have two kids. Now that 630 wake up, if you really need two hours of yourself, you're waking up at 430. And there's people that do that. Right. And I commend those people. I have a hard time doing that because we work a lot and I, I also need my sleep just regardless. So again, I'm not the most disciplined with my day-to-day schedule. Um, but I also like that, right. To an extent, I like the flexibility that I have with my meetings. Like I'll use, like, let's say there's a day where I'm meeting with both of you guys and, and key, let's say I'm meeting with you at nine o'clock and Mang, let's say I'm not meeting with you until one o'clock in the afternoon. I might do keys meeting and then be done with it. And I might, I could, I might go watch TV. I don't do this, but like I could go watch TV or I could go walk my dog or I could just go, I could go have brunch with my wife or I can go rake leaves and jump in leaves with my daughter, or I can stay in my office and I can do work. Right. So right now my kids are young. So I actually do. Again, I go, uh, I go on, on, I see both sides of it because I'm passionate about growing my business, but I'm also very passionate about being there with my kids. Um, so I, I do prioritize time with my family over growing the business. Um, and I think that the business probably could be a little ahead of, of where it is now if I didn't do this, but my kids are young and I know I'm not going to get this time back. So I enjoy that time with them, but I schedule is different every single day. And it's a little bit hectic sometimes because it's just random and it's not always regimented, but I don't mind that because it gives me the flexibility to essentially do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. Um, but then, yeah, you do have to be disciplined to not do that too much because what it, because like if I have a day where I don't have any meetings, which is not often, but if I did have a day, it's like, well, do I take a mental day or do I focus that day on on market or marketing and content creation? Like, do I stay busy? Do I catch up on, do I catch up on, on case prep? Right. There's a million different things that you can do. The question is, when you have the free time, what are you choosing to do with that? And I think that everybody has the right to do whatever they want to do. You just have to make sure that you're not hurting yourself by doing things that you're doing. How do you check yourself uh, and making sure you're not leaning too far one way versus the other? Uh, Marry a good spouse. My wife checks the shit out of me. So if I'm go if I'm doing well, she checks me and like, hey, gather yourself. Uh, and if I'm not doing well, she says, look, it's not going well. It's okay. Like you're going to get yourself out of it. You always do. Like I can see that your confidence down. I can see your anxiety is up. Um, like this isn't, this isn't you like check yourself and, and like get back in, like start working out again. Like she was the first one that told me she was like, cause if I've noticed, I've always struggled with anxiety. I think it's probably more so cause I was always super physically active and now as an adult, I'm not as physically active, but that's on me. I, I, I make the choice not to do that. And I want to do it more. But if I go through a six month period of time where I'm not doing anything that is that is that is physically engaging, like with like like fitness wise, right? If I'm in bad shape and I'm not working out, I'm not doing anything, I'm not happy with how I look, I'm not happy with stamina, I'm not happy with with strength, I'm not happy with any of those things, that affects everything else. And I get very anxious. And then literally, if like my anxiety gets really bad, I'm the type of person if I go to the gym for two days in a row, that anxiety, oddly enough, seems to just go away. Right. And it's just like, cause it's like when your mind, your, your body and when everything is working in conjunction, that's how it's supposed to be. Right. That's what we were designed to do. We weren't supposed to sit in a home office and talk in front of a, a computer screen five, six, seven days a week. Um, so that's how I kind of check my, th- my wife checks me in uh, mainly cause she just knows me, but I also, you got to know yourself, right? So if things are going bad, you need to know yourself, get yourself out of it. 
And if you don't know how to get yourself out of it, you need to talk to other people that have been there before. Talk to people that are where you want to be. Talk like talk to those people and ask for their advice. They'll give it to you. I like that. I like that. Comes back to taking ownership of your situation, like we were talking about earlier. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. What does what you mentioned five years from now, maybe coming back and having another conversation, check on your routine, holding you to that. Uh, what it. is the next five years of? What do you envision five years from now? Financial scale. Um. So. Our, our goal is to be like a full, and I think this is what sets us apart from some of the other um, services that are similar to ours. Uh, but we're in the process of becoming a very full service financial services organization. So we help with the student loan stuff. Um, we can, we're going to be able to help our clients with their investing. We're going to be able to help our clients with their insurance planning. We're going to be able to help our clients with their mortgages. We're going to be able to help our clients with their tax filings, right? That's, that's the goal of basically offering a full service uh, to any clients or potential clients and then scaling. And, and again, that's what comes down to processing and scripting and having a, a process and script or just a process in general that you can say in an interview room, this is what we do. We will give you the words to say, you just have to make them your own, make them sound organic and trust our process and go through our process and trust our recommendations and go through those recommendations and speak with conviction and when you're struggling, talk to us, we'll help you. But this is our process. This is our system. And if you, and again, as arrogantly as, as arrogant as it might sound, it, it's not. It's just confidence and, and trusting what you're doing. But it's like, if you just trust and listen to what we say and do and do those things, you'll be successful here. That is the goal of Varela Financial is to be that organization for an industry that has a 90% fail rate. What about for you personally? What are your five-year goals? <laughs> Man, um, just like personally, like not not professionally at all. It's a good question. It's a good question. This is making me realize that I don't I don't think about this enough, right? And it's kind of what we're talking about, like taking ownership. Like I don't, I I I just have a lot going on, right? I got I have my marriage, I have my I have my children, I have the business, um, and you like you, you those three things take up a lot of, those things take up a lot of time so it's really hard to figure out where do i personally want to be in 5 years because it's hard to answer that question without bringing it to the business right because again that's that's one of those three categories that consumes everything that i feel like i am right now um but in the next 5 years like i, I hope to to be very confident and and very successful with what we've done so far uh with personally and professionally um, I hope to have a very strong relationship with my kids. Um, I hope to have a very strong relationship in my marriage. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think those three pillars of, of where I'm at right now in life, I hope five years, they can be stronger than where they are right now and, and thriving and, and, uh, yeah, just be a good example. I think like in general, you always want to be, you always want to be action over words. Um, and I think that you see people that seem very happy. Like I was just at a, a football game and my wife and I were sitting next to somebody and I was like, this guy has executive energy. Like, like you, you sit down to somebody and you're like, you're sitting down to somebody that they're, they're happy to be there and they're content. They're not anxious. They're just present and they're, they're ready for anything that's thrown their way. Not like in an exciting way, almost kind of like in a boring way, but like, they're just so content and confident with where they're at. Um, and I think that goes from figuring out what your like pillars in life are and strength and constantly strengthening those those pillars and those areas for an extended 
period of time. And then at some point you get to sit back and look back at what you've built and you can be very proud of that. Um, and I think that's why people always have that urge to follow their entrepreneurial spirit because they might have that feeling of wanting to look back at what they've built and be super, super proud of it and have a legacy and, and kids that love you and, and, and family and friends that love you. And, and you have things that make you happy and you're doing things that make you happy. Um, I think in five years, that's, that's, that's where I want, I want to be moving or continuing to move in that direction. I really like that. You picked a couple strong three pillars that you want to focus on and not everything like the whole like five six seven eight things that you want to focus on you pick three things three simple things that you want to hit on and just constantly work on filling in those buckets and yeah if if you're keeping those yeah like i don't know like we said earlier the north star the north star like keeping Mm -hmm. what's important important that's what's going to help you get to uh continue to build because you know what you're trying to focus on so i really like that i really like that answer yeah. And every person is going to be different. Right. Cause when you asked the question, I was like, I was like stumped. It was a good question. But then I just think I'm like, well, what are the three things that mean the most to me in life right now? And like, I don't care about, like, I love my friends and I love my extended family and I love my in-laws, but like, I don't prioritize time with them as much as I probably maybe like some, some people would say you should prioritize that more. But in my mind, I'm like the things that are most important to me now are my ability to grow my business my relationship with my wife and my relationship with my kids. That is my life, right? That is Monday through Sunday. That is my life. I have things that I, I enjoy football, right? I enjoy watching sports. I enjoy coaching. I, I volunteer at the, the local uh, high school lacrosse team, which, which I also graduate from. I really enjoy doing those things. Those things make me happy, but like those aren't priorities, right? So my goal isn't to, oh, I want to be the head lacrosse coach. Like that's not a goal. That's not a major priority. Like my priority is the business and my family. Um, so those, that's how I get to my three pillars. But if you would have asked me this, I didn't have, I wasn't married and I didn't have kids five years ago. So if you would have asked me this five years ago, answer would have been totally different. I don't know what those answers would have been, but like, again, life is just a constant evolution of successes and failures. And eventually you are where you are and you always can kind of reset and say, all right, well, where do I want to be five years from now? What are my priorities now? And life's always going to change. Right. Um, especially, especially with, with things like getting into business and especially things like marriage and, and having kids. So all exciting things, but they're just, they become, they consume you, not in a bad way at all. I definitely like that. Um, I want to ask you a question about your books and like, I feel like you're like a person that listens to a lot of podcasts and <laughs> like reads books. What are, what are your like recommendations for good books to read in regards to marketing and sales? It's a really good question. Podcasts. Uh, a book for marketing and sales or a book just in regards to like entrepreneurship, like building a business. It doesn't have to be. Marketing so, so I've always been, so, well, to answer your question with marketing and sales, I think the step one of, of becoming more educated on understanding marketing and sales is understanding how the brain works. So like the psychology of decision-making. Um, so Malcolm Gladwell. So I have, I have a couple here. Um, well, at least I thought I did. Oh, other side. So basically Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell is one of my favorite books by far. Have you, any, have you guys read that? No. I think, I think yeah, Ming said yes. I have. Out, Outliers yeah. by Malcolm Gladwell is one of my favorite books, period. Uh, because it basically, it basically, and it, so he was, he spoke on Joe, on Joe Rogan's podcast and I'm going to steal this from that. Um, but basically what he does in that book is he eliminates talent from the equation 
and just focuses on how did like how did the Beatles become the Beatles, right? How did Steve Jobs become Steve Jobs? It's like it's not that they were so talented. It's that they've spent you take talent out of the equation, you focus on what what did they do? What decisions did they make to get great at what they're doing? How much time did they put into a into getting to where they are? Because it doesn't matter who you are. Like, uh, again, I'm not nearly where we want to be. I don't even know how you guys perceive me. I know we've worked together, but whatever your perception is, like you might just, you see me how I am today. You don't see me how I am when I'm, when I'm going to be in 10 years. 10 years, I'm going to be a totally different person, hopefully in a good way, right? 10 years ago, I was a completely different. I have probably 150 people that would back me up on that, right? Maybe not in a great way, right? So like you're, you're, you take the, the talent out of the equation. You're like, how much time and energy was spent into becoming what these people became um, and the psychology of that. And uh, that's what Outliers does. And it basically says like, look, literally anybody can be the Beatles. The Beatles were always the Beatles, but they weren't like, they were nobody before they were the Beatles, right? So Steve Jobs was nobody before he was Steve Jobs. He was just a hippie, right? So again, like that's why Outliers is a great book. Another one is, so Blink's another good one. So that one's for decision-making. Uh, Relentless by uh, Tim or Tom, Tim Grover. So he, that's another very popular book if you haven't read that. Uh, I also like that because he probably speaks like how we all speak uh, internally and he just puts it in writing. Um, but he is basically like what did, like he, like Michael Jordan, D Wade uh, or Dwayne Wade, um, uh, like Kobe Bryant. Like why are these people such elite winners? And it's because winning is, that's it, right? So like another thing that I teach my daughter, maybe it's a little, uh, um, I, don't know, I don't know the way I would word it, probably wouldn't be appropriate, but I would say maybe it's a little douchey. Um, but I tell my daughters, I'm like, what do winners do? And they'll tell you, winners win. I'm like, that's right, winners fucking win. Because again, it's that ownership, right? It's like, if you're going to do something, like winning does matter. It matters in life and in, in sports. Losing matters too. Losing is important. It's part of the process. Losing is a part of winning. Um, but Relentless is really good because it really just dives into like the elite of the elite when it comes to winning and what their mindset was like. And again, not everybody's going to be like Michael Jordan. I'll probably never be like Michael Jordan, but I could make a decision to make, to think like him. Right. Same thing with Kobe Bryant. It's like you don't have to be a basketball player. You can be in business. But it's like what decisions and how are you like, what is your mindset and how, what are you doing to get to where you want to be? And for these people, it was like, well, what did they do? So, I mean, it's such a good example. Like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, it's known factually. People did not like, people do not really like these people, especially like their own teammates didn't like them because they were just so obsessive over winning that they were not fun to be around. But it's because they didn't really care if they were liked or not. They legitimately did not care about being like, they only cared about their legacy and being great and winning. Um, and Relentless is a book that is, it, that that book will fire you up if you're a competitive person, highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, I, I, your question was, what books do I recommend for uh, like marketing, sales, or mindset? Those are the books that I read. You could put them in the category of self-help. I don't, I don't know why, but I feel like that category feels corny to me, so I don't consider it that. Um, but those are the types of books that get me going, um, especially if they're related in a way to things that are related to me in ways that I can empathize with them. So like athletics, like I was just a college cross player. That's as far as I went. I was never a professional back basketball player or a professional athlete at all, or even minor league of anything. Right. But I can still empathize with what an athlete goes through and, and what, 
losing feels like and what winning feels like and how to get to the results that you want. Um, so if I'm reading books about people that were elite winners, that's very intriguing to me because whether you're winning in a sport or winning in business or winning at life or winning in your marriage or winning with your kids or winning as a physical therapist, it's all winnings, winning, winners, win. You got to make the decision to do so. Some of those books will help you do that. Okay, then. All right. <laughs> that's the, uh, I got one last question. One last question for you. You've given us a lot. And one to two things you want people to take away from today's conversation. Own your life. And own everything in your life that happens to you. Everything that happens to you or doesn't happen to you is generally going to be a result of something that you did. Own that. Second thing I'll leave people with is find the pillars in your life that make you happy and focus on growing those things and focus on stopping. Like sometimes you're going to have to stop the growth of things that are not making you happy. Right. So if you're doing things that are not resulting in, in, in anything that is making you happy, you might have to stop those things. Um, but yeah, so own your life and find the pillars of your life that make you very happy and, and, and keep watering those seeds. Mm. Way to sum it up. I like that. I really like that a lot. <laughs> this is uh, fun. This Chris, was good. This was a. This uh, is one of the better. Uh, this is one of the better podcasts that we did because it's just more. It's not just about student loans. It's not just about one thing. So this was fun. Thanks for having me. Of course. Where can people find you if they if they want to like learn more about you or get on a call? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, my email is pretty simple. It's just Chris at VarellaFinancial dot com. So I'll put that out there. Um, you could go to the website if you're interested in what we do from a business perspective. Um, we're also on Instagram. So just at Varela Financial, uh, we're on Facebook and uh, I'm personally in, in business is also on LinkedIn as well. Um, so just Chris Varela or Varela Financial on LinkedIn. Um, we have a lot of content out there, but I always tell people it's like the best way to really learn about what we're doing and, and figure out how we can help them if they're interested in talking about our services that we offer Stop going to our website and trying to figure it all out yourself to schedule a 15 minute phone call with us. We'll tell you what we're about, we'll tell you what we can do. We'll talk about your case and see how we can help potentially. And if there's a fit there, great. And if not, that's okay too. But um, yeah, I would say the website or social media, that's uh, that's where people can find us pretty consistently. It's not going to be 15 minutes that you wasted if you have on that call. That's, that's all I'll say. Uh, but Chris, just wanted to say thank you for coming on the pod and we really enjoy getting to know you and getting to work with you in the future. So um, really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I had a blast. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. All right. Catch you guys on the next episode. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the KMAG audio experience. Make sure to subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review, and we'll catch you in the next episode.